Here is the truth of God today, folks, that your needs have a beginning and they have an ending. But God's supply has no beginning and it has no ending. Last Sunday, we started on the subject of faith and we, we decided we would start where it all begins. And we looked at Romans chapter 10, if you'll remember, and how that faith begins at our salvation. And faith is basically trusting that what God says is true. But faith is like a muscle. And the muscle will grow stronger as we use it and we exercise it. And we must continue to exercise faith in what God says. That's very, very important. It's a shame, but I think too many Christians are not using their faith. They are using human reason uh, rather or more than faith in what God says to be true. And consequently, what happens is our vision of God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And we start looking more and more like the unsaved of this world. And we operate like them. Back in 1996, two authors by the name of William Stanley, Thomas Stanley and William Danko, they wrote a very interesting book entitled the millionaire next door. And essentially in their book, they said that there are many millionaires. They're just ordinary looking people and they work at ordinary jobs. But if you were to add up the value of all their assets, they'd be worth in excess of a million dollars. And it was a very interesting point they made. It's quite possible that you are living next door to a millionaire and you don't even realize it. And likewise, we Christians tend not to realize the immense power and wealth uh, of our heavenly father and all what he owns. We tend to miss this somehow. And so our vision of almighty God and his grandeur and his glory and his wealth and his power tends to be way too small. Now the result of a small image of God is we tend to live by human logic and human reasoning more than by faith. Folks, we need to change that. Don't we? We need to change that. Like the lady in our story today, we need to catch a bigger vision of what God is and what God can do. And so let's bow for prayer and let's look into our story today. Our heavenly father, we thank you that you are a great and awesome God, powerful beyond what any human language has the ability to describe. You are so far advanced and far above everything that is in this world and anything we could possibly imagine even help us to get a greater vision of you. Help us dear heavenly father to be able to place more faith in what you have written in your word. Help us to stand upon the promises. Strengthen us to this end in Jesus name we ask. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 15 with your Bibles open there, please. It begins with an interesting um, bit of commentary. The scribes and the Pharisees come and approach Jesus and start to accuse his disciples of 
trespass and committing sin. Telling Jesus that they do trespass, they do transgress. They, they're not washing their hands enough before they eat. Well, did you know that in Proverbs chapter 30 and in verse 10, it says not to accuse a servant to his master, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. And that's exactly what our Lord Jesus did. They accused his servants and he went to bat for them and he turned this thing around. And indeed he exposed the hypocrisy of those scribes and Pharisees. Now chapter 15 and verse 21 tells us, then Jesus went thence. He was on the coast of the sea of Galilee and he goes kind of Northwest. It says he went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now we put together a map. Fellas, do you have that map? Put that map up there. You can see it sort of at the bottom to the right kind of where all of the arrows are. That is the sea of Galilee. And here on this arrow up through Phoenicia, the Lord Jesus traveled with his disciples up to a little dot. That's a city called Tyre. And then North of that to another dot. That's another city called Sidon. And this is way out of the land of Israel. Okay. You can put that away. So why did Jesus go up there? Why did he leave the land of Israel, the land of the Jews? Why did he go into the, the land of the Gentiles? Uh, well, it's because there was a Gentile woman there. That's why. And she had faith and her faith was about to become great faith. And this was also to be an important lesson for the disciples. Folks, if we would keep our eyes and ears open more, I think we would learn more lessons what God has for us because God loves us. And he's always trying to teach us and train us and show us new things and things that are important for us. And we need to keep our eyes open. Now the disciples were constantly learning about faith and faith is so important. The Bible tells us in old and new Testament, the just shall live by faith. How is your faith doing today? I might ask. Now I'd like to give you an example of what we're talking about here. Take your Bible and turn to the gospel of Mark to chapter four, not too far, just a few pages to the right. You'll find Mark. And I'd like you to go to chapter four And I'd like you to find verse 35. Would you do that, please? Mark chapter four and verse 35. We have an amazing story here, and I'm sure it's one you're familiar with. But in Mark chapter four and verse number 35, here the scripture says, and the same day when uh, the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And so here you have the instruction of the Lord Jesus to his disciples. They were at the sea of Galilee and they were getting in the boat and it was even the sun was coming down. And Jesus says to the disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. That's pretty plain. That's pretty simple. I think. And so verse 36, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship And there were also with him other little ships and there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. A few years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of visiting the land of Israel and indeed the sea of Galilee. And we did go in a boat out onto the sea of Galilee. 
I was even able to scoop up a little bit of the water from the Sea of Galilee and cap it tight and bring it home. And I have it as a constant reminder of the land where Jesus walked. It's in my home, a little bottle and it says Sea of Galilee on it. And it has water from the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains and the, the uh, air currents and uh, winds and so on sometimes wreak havoc on the Sea of Galilee up from nowhere. Almost uh, the wind will come and it'll whip up the waves. And before you'll know it, you have a pretty nasty uh, storm. Now the sea of Galilee is really a lake, but it's so big. They call it a sea. All right. That's where it gets its name from. And so here in our story, Jesus plainly told them what they were to do. They were to pass over onto the other side. That was his will. That was his word. Those were his instructions and even his promise. Then he went to sleep. He got a pillow and he went to sleep. They're in the little ship. Say, why did he do that? Why didn't he stay awake with them? I believe that he went to sleep so as to give his disciples an opportunity, a chance to exercise their faith in what he had just told them. And you'll find the same with you and me. God will tell us what to do. And then he'll give us an opportunity to do it, to exercise our faith in his will in his word is instruction, but a terrible storm threatened to sink the ship. And so verse 38, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him. Maybe they shook him. They awake him and say unto him, master, carest thou not that we perish? And so the strong, the storm at sea here apparently proved to be stronger than their faith in what Jesus said. Jesus said, let us pass over unto the other side. A storm comes and challenges that say, has this ever happened to you where you feel that God is telling you to do something? So you start to do it. And all of a sudden circumstances arise like a storm at sea. And all of a sudden you're not sure if you can do this or not. Well, this seems to be what we have here before us. The Lord Jesus plainly told the disciples what to do. They get in the boat. He takes a nap. They start rowing. We think we can handle this. We're experienced here out on the sea of Galilee. We spent our lives here fishing and so on. We know this place. So they're rowing and doing what they're doing. And then the storm comes. The storm comes and maybe at first they thought, Hey, we, it's no problem. There's enough of us here. We can bail water. We're going to be okay. Just leave the master be not a problem. But then the storm increases. Whoa, whoa, this, this doesn't look good. Maybe Thomas said we should never have left shore. Maybe Matthew says, do we bring enough uh, life preservers? Uh, I don't like the look of this. They got panicky. And so they went and they cried to Jesus in despair. And listen, they almost accuse him of not caring. They woke him up. Carest thou not that we perish? We're about to die a grisly death. Don't you even care? This seems to be how they, they thought. 
These men were seasoned professional sailors and they were at their wits end. So let's look at verse 39. And he, that's Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Faith in what he said. And what did he say? Let us pass over onto the other side. That was his will, his instruction. They were to put their faith in that. You see, no storm can sink a ship that Jesus is in. Isn't that right? Amen. This is very interesting. Jesus easily solved their problem. Like Jesus can easily solve your problem. He can easily make any storm lay down and go to sleep. But then he turns and he asks his disciples why they had no faith in what he had just told them to do. Now I want you to see their amazing reaction in verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, obviously they didn't have a big enough picture of who Jesus is right now, folks, that's easy for us. 2000 years later in hindsight to look back and say, well, they should have. And if I had been in the boat that day, I would have counseled them. Men be of good cheer. Jesus told us to go to the other side. That's exactly what we're going to do. Pay no attention to the wind. Pay no attention to the waves, the storm, the blackness. Keep rowing. No problem. Jesus said, we'll make it. Yeah. As if that's what we have done, would have done we probably would have been scared too, just like them. And when you see others around you scared, it tends to make you more scared. But this is an amazing, amazing story. Faith means that we are to believe what God says, no matter what the circumstances are. Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. That was his will. That was his word. Faith is to be placed in what he says to be true. Jesus doesn't give us just random thoughts and opinions. He knows what to do. And when he says, this is what you do. Well, folks, that's what we do. And so let's go back to Matthew 15. And we, we meet this Gentile woman who has great faith. Oh, beloved, please today ask the Holy spirit to increase your vision of who Jesus is and what he can do. Ask the Holy spirit to increase your faith in his word. Would you do that today? Now let us remember Ephesians chapter three and verse 20. And there it teaches us that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think folks. We don't have a big enough vision of who and what God is. 
because we've wandered around on this planet, living by human logic and living by sight and not by faith in his word. It's had a crippling effect on our vision of how great and how big God is. And we seem to have forgotten that our God can walk on the water. Our God can move mountains. There is nothing our God cannot do. Amen. Ask God today, increase my vision, Lord, increase my understanding of how great you are. And let us walk by faith. Jesus is so great. I want you to know this today. Our Lord Jesus, when he spreads a table, he is a very generous housekeeper. The Lord Jesus, when he spreads a table, there is more than enough food on his table. And you might say, well, how much food are we talking about? I'll tell you how much. So much food that this Gentile woman in Phoenicia, she knew that her needs could be met by one crumb off the master's table. That's the kind of table we're talking about. So full, so rich, so bountiful. One crumb was all that she was looking for. Just the crumbs off the table. Let me ask you today. What are your greatest needs? What do you perceive your greatest needs to be? Could it be money? Maybe you've got debts and you need money. I'm not talking about a barrel full of money just so that you can live the life of a king or something. I'm talking about money to help your needs and get you on your feet and maybe get you out of debt. What are your greatest needs? How do you perceive your needs? Or perhaps for you, it's, it's that has nothing to do with, with money. Perhaps you've, you've done something and you need forgiveness. You need reconciliation. And perhaps that's what's pressing you down today. Perhaps your needs today are, are in your health, something to do with your strength and your health. And again, not so that you can boast in your health, but rather so you can use that health to serve the Lord and maybe to serve the people that God has put in your family. Maybe you have a ministry of service and you need your health. Perhaps your need today is for affection and, and make no mistake. That's a genuine need. People need affection. Maybe that's what your, your need is. Well, here's the truth. Here is the truth of God today, folks, that your needs have a beginning and they have an ending. But God's supply has no beginning and it has no ending. Here's the truth of God today. Your needs are finite, but God's supply is infinite. That's the truth today. And we need to get a renewed vision of how great our God is and the table that he spreads your part. My part, your part is to have faith in God's part. You have a part. God has a part. God tells us what to do. Our job is to do it. That's faith. Faith in what God says is true and acting upon it. That's the basis of our story today. Back in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, God says, fear thou not for I am with thee. Be not dismayed for I am thy God. He says, I will strengthen thee 
Yea, he says, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Listen to me. It's only a small thing for God to help you. It's a small, small thing for God to meet your needs. Oh, Christian, listen to me. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood. He bought you with his blood. You belong to him. Oh, Christian. And you question that he's going to help you. He paid his blood to buy you. Let there never be a question of his desire and willingness and ability to help you. But he has a part and you have a part. His part. Thus saith the Lord. This is what you need to believe. This is the promise. This is the instruction. Your part. Believe it and act upon it. That is faith. That is faith. And the just are supposed to live this way. His supply for all of your needs is but a crumb off of his table. Amen. If there was a starving ant, a tiny little ant starving, standing at the door of your kitchen, looking up at you and saying, please, I'm dying. I'm starving. Could I please have a crumb from your table? And there you are with your, your banquet, your roast, your rice, bread, salad. The table is full of wonderful food. Would you begrudgingly say, no, Mr. Ant, I can't afford to give you anything. If that little ant was at your kitchen door, in truth, wouldn't you say, you poor little guy, and reach and take a, not just a crumb, but a morsel, probably bigger than the size of the ant. Here you go, my little friend. And if that's not enough, come back and see me and I'll give you some more. What would you do? And there's God with a table that has infinite resources and you can come as many times as you need. You see only a crumb off the heavenly father's table is more than enough. And you and I are but a tiny insect at the door of God's all sufficiency. And listen, isn't that enough? When you think of it, isn't almighty God enough for you and for me? Do you need more strength than the power of almighty God? Will God be poor because he has given you some money to meet your needs? Will God be less holy because he's given you some holiness in order to overcome the, the temptations of the flesh and the world? Will he be less holy because he gives you some holiness? Will God be less wise because he's given you some wisdom to solve a problem? Of course not. You know that. I tell you the truth. God is more willing to give than you are even willing to receive. That's the truth. You say, how do you know? I'll tell you how I know. Because the unsaved man 
generally is not willing to receive the gift of God. And those of us who do become willing and receive Jesus Christ, we get saved. We carry some of that baggage, some of that unsaved attitude with us into the kingdom of God. And so when God says, here's what I want to give you. We sometimes say, nah, I don't want it. God is more willing to give than you and I are willing to receive. Isn't that an amazing truth? Oh, I tell you, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then the next verse in Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, I, the Lord, please ask the Holy spirit to give you an increased vision of how great God is and ask him to increase your faith, to believe what he has said to be true. Now, someone today might say, pastor, does God really tell us to come to him like this? He does. Let's look at it together. Let's go to the book of Hebrews to the right, go to the right to the book of Hebrews and chapter number four. Hebrews chapter number four. I want you to see this with me. Let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter four and verse number 16. I ask you to read it out loud with me. Would you do that? Hebrews four and 16. Read it together with me now. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the answer is yes, God really does tell us, come unto me, come, come unto me, says God. Someone might say, well, is it really that simple? We just ask him. Is it really as simple as that? The answer is a couple pages to the right. Let's go to James after Hebrews, James chapter four, James chapter four. And I want you to see verse number two, James four and verse number two. Would you read verse two out loud with me, please? Ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain because ye have not. I'm sorry. I missed a few words there. I apologize. Ye fight and war yet ye have not. Here we go. Because ye ask not. I'm sorry. I fumbled the verse there blew some of the thunder, but the last few words ye have not because ye ask not. It's just as simple as that. Now, some people have the idea that only pastors are allowed to go to God and ask him for things. Oh, my friend, this Gentile woman in Matthew chapter 15, was she a pastor? Let's go back there. Shall we Matthew chapter 15? Why? What do you know? This woman was not a pastor. She wasn't Jewish. She wasn't a pastor. She was a Canaanite Gentile, but I'll tell you what she loved God. She did, or she wouldn't have been there at Jesus feet that day. This woman loved God and she knew that God was loving and God was gracious and that God would make room for her. 
Now, with your Bible open at Matthew 15, let's look carefully at her story here. You know something? This story is almost like a game of chess. You know, chess where you move your pieces and try and capture the king, right? Put the king in checkmate. You know that. And so watch this story. Verse number 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him saying, have mercy on me. O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Oh, this doesn't sound good. When devils get involved, Ooh, that's pretty nasty business. We know from other scriptures that devils can make people froth at the mouth and speak in crazy voices and the devils can throw them to the ground and almost tear them and wallow and foam. And that devils experience can, uh, can um, uh, uh, exhibit great strength, physical strength. We know that there was a man demon possessed on the other coast of the sea of Galilee and they tried chaining him. He break the chains demons. Ooh, boy. Ooh, nasty stuff. The disciples were right there and they heard it. Ooh, they must've thought, Ooh, this doesn't sound too good. Does it? No, it sure wasn't. And this poor woman had had a daughter that was vexed with the devil. Well, how did the daughter get that way? How did she get that way? Well, folks, I could be wrong, but people usually get demon possessed when they open themselves up to demonic influences. Unsaved people, when they play around with Ouija boards, unsaved people, when they play around with those tarot cards and crystal balls, unsaved people, when they read books on witchcraft and warlocks, and they try to enter into this and experiment and play around with it. They open themselves up. They start worshiping demons. And at first it's fun, but then like any kind of bad habit, it gets a hold of them. I'm only guessing, but I think that's probably how this young lady became demon possessed and vexed. People aren't born that way. And so here, the, the woman in the story, she called Jesus Lord, capital L. It means master or owner. And my Christian friend, if you call Jesus Lord, then you're calling him the owner, the master of your life. Let's not forget that. But she doesn't stop there. She goes on and says in verse 22, she says, thou son of David. That was an expression, a Jewish expression for Messiah. Here's a Gentile Canaanite woman using biblical terminology. Don't you find that interesting? I think somehow she must have heard some scripture reading and maybe some preaching. She must have been taught a few things but she used a very Jewish expression calling Jesus the Messiah, thou son of David. She knew that Jesus was more than just a man. She knew that he was the anointed one of God because that's what Messiah means. Messiah, Christ, they're Hebrew and Greek and they mean the anointed one come from God. And so in this little game of chess, she gets right in front of Jesus, calls him Lord, calls him Messiah. Check. She put his king in check. 
She's after something, this woman. Look at verse 23, the first part of verse 23. But he answered her, not a word. It's like Jesus moved his king away. He moved away, not answering her a word. Now, other people might have stood up and said, well, imagine that. Here I, I called him Lord. I called him the son of David. He won't even talk to me. Huh? I'm out of here. Some people would have done that. Not this woman. Now look at verse 23, the, the rest of verse 23 and his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away for she crieth after us. She's after us now. And here, this woman, when Jesus moved away, she directed her attention onto the disciples. You men, you followers of Jesus, please intervene on my behalf. Do something. I'm in desperate straits. Please. I beg you. And they may have thought, Ooh, demons. Yeah. Nasty. No Lord, Lord, please get rid of this woman. She's now after us. As I say, others might have quit right there. Well, not even his disciples will give me the time of day. I'm out of here. Not this woman, not this wonderful woman. Look now, please at verse 24, Jesus comes back in the picture. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Jesus basically told her, lady, you're not even in the ball game. I'm only commissioned by God to go to the house of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yet this woman looking up into Jesus eyes must have thought, yeah, this isn't Israel. You've come out of Israel, Northwest up into Phoenicia. Here you are in the land of the Canaanites. You say you're sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, then what are you doing here? But you see, she had it in her heart that he was a God of compassion. Verse 25, watch carefully. Then came she and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. Now she hadn't done this yet. She got in his face the first time and said, Lord, thou son of David, check. He moved his king away. She goes after the disciples. They move away. Jesus comes back and says, I'm not sent to you. I'm sent to Israel. She comes back and worships him. Check. That's very important. Why would this woman worship Jesus Christ? That's something you only do to God, isn't it? You only worship God, don't you? You know, back in Matthew chapter four, our Lord Jesus was tempted of the devil, Satan, with three horrible temptations that were very real. And at one point in Matthew chapter four, verse 10, 
Jesus turned to Satan. He said, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And over in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation in chapter 22, we find the apostle John mistakenly falling at the feet of an angel and beginning to worship him. And the angel right away stops him and tells him these words, worship God. Now, what does this tell you and me? We are only to worship God. And what is this woman doing? She's falling at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. Check. How did this woman know who Jesus was? Because you only worship God. How did she know who Jesus was? Well, I think two reasons. Number one, his preaching, his teaching, his sermons. He spoke like no other man. You read his sermon on the Mount and he taught here and taught there. And he did a lot of, of teaching and preaching around Galilee. And that's not very far from Tyre and Sidon word spread North of his teachings. But secondly, his miracles. Did you know that at this point in the story, Matthew chapter 15, the Lord Jesus had performed at least 20 miracles, at least 20 miracles he had performed. And these would include turning the water into wine, healing an official son at Capernaum, which is around Galilee, driving out an evil spirit from a man, healing Peter's mother-in-law with, from a sick fever, healing many sick uh, that were oppressed cleansing a man of leprosy, healing a centurion's paralyzed servant, healing a paralytic who was let down from the roof, healing a man's withered hand on a Sabbath day, raising a widow's son from the dead, calming a storm on the sea, casting demons into a herd of pigs, healing a woman in the crowd who had an issue of blood, raising Jairus's daughter back to life, healing two blind men, healing a man who was unable to speak, healing an invalid at the pool of Bethesda, feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, walking on the water and healing many sick people in Gennesaret as they reached and touched his garment. News of these miracles spread throughout the countryside like wildfire. This woman knew that Jesus was God in the flesh for no one else could possibly do these miracles except God. Now look at verse 26. But he answered and said, it is not meat. In other words, it's not proper. It's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Now look very carefully. Jesus moves his king out of the way. Jesus escapes again and calls her a Gentile dog. 
That's what he did. That's the bottom line. Many people would have absolutely quit at this point. Many people would have stood up and said, we're not taking this anymore. How dare he call me a dog? Many people would have made a public protest. They would have made a sign that says, boycott Jesus. Boycott Jesus. Have nothing to do with that man. Many would have taken up arms against him, but not this woman. This woman not only received Jesus assessment of her being a dog. She not only received it, but she agreed with Jesus statement. And here it is. Don't miss it. Her great faith. What made her faith great was she turned it right back to Jesus again in verse 27. After he called her a dog, verse 27, and she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Checkmate! She got it! Oh, oh, my, oh, my, Jesus gave in at this point. He gave up. He gave in. She won. Look at verse 28. Then said Jesus, then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Folks, listen to me. Faith is all about trusting what God says to be absolutely true, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what happens, regardless of what people tell you. Faith believes that what God says is true. I ask you, what does your faith tell you today? What does your faith tell you today? What vision do you have of Jesus Christ? Can you see him doing great things The Canaanite woman sure did. And so what are your needs today? Are they physical? Are they financial? Are they emotional? Are they spiritual? Are they all of the above? You need to do what this Canaanite woman did and don't give up until you get your needs met. When I was back in Bible college, I learned about a pastor in Toronto. The pastor's name was Stuart Sylvester. He was a good pastor and he grew a great church in the Toronto area. And pastor Sylvester would tell a story about a business friend of his who owned his own airport, his own airplane. And he would fly his airplane in and out of the Toronto International Airport. The Toronto International Airport is the largest and busiest airport in Canada. Something like 47 million people every year fly in and out of Toronto International. It's unbelievable 
the amount of business they do. It's incredible how big this place is. The hugest jumbo jets in the world will land in there. And Pastor Sylvester asked his friend, and he said, aren't you afraid when you fly your little plane into the Toronto International Airport? Aren't you feeling rather scared with all those big jumbo jets? And his business friend looked at him and said, Pastor Sylvester, even though my plane is small, I have the same rights and the same privileges as all of the greatest jumbo jets in the world. I have equal authority to come and go at the Toronto International Airport. Now the application is for you and me, even though we're small and we're a nobody compared to some people in the world. When it comes to God and to his banqueting table, you and I have equal access. We have the same equal access that this Canaanite woman had. The question is, are we going to do what she did in order to get what she got? You see, we're talking about faith and faith believes what God says is true. Now, listen, my friends, when it comes to purchasing your eternal salvation, God didn't give you any crumb off his table. He gave you everything. He gave you the best he had. He gave you himself. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for your sins so that you don't have to die and go to hell forever so that you can be saved and go to heaven. If you will do what God says, that's where your faith comes in. God tells you to acknowledge and admit and confess your sinfulness before God. Admit the fact that you're lost and on your way to hell. Confess your sin to Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive you, to come into your heart, to be your Lord and your Savior. And if you will believe it and act upon it, you will receive the blessing from God and you will be born again into his family today. Now, if you have already done that, if you're already born again, then can I ask you a simple question? He's given you so much. What have you given back to him? Have you given him just a crumb? The truth is, we owe it all to Jesus. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.